Thanks, Austin. If you all would, turn with me to Zechariah. We're going to be in chapter 6 today, pick up where we left off last week. If you are having a hard time finding Zechariah, that's kind of a hard book to find. Go to the New Testament. The very first book in the New Testament is Matthew, and then go backwards through Malachi, and then Zechariah. It's the second book before, before Matthew. We'll pick back up in chapter 6 this morning. We'll start reading in verse 9. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Zechariah speaking, of course, Take from the exiles Heldai and Tobijah and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam and Tobijah and Jediah and Hin, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, we thank you for your promise that where your word is read, where your word is preached, that it will accomplish the purpose that you have for it. And so God, I pray this morning that you would keep that promise. And God, we're trusting that you will. Father, I pray that the words that I speak and the thoughts that we have here in the next few minutes will be honorable to you. And God, I pray your spirit will be working in our lives through the preaching of your word this morning. And God, we thank you for Jesus and pray these things through his name. Amen. All right, well, we're picking up with where we left off last week, like I said, with Zechariah chapter 6. And you may have noticed an, an immediate um, difference between this week's passage and the last several weeks' passage. Uh, remember, we've been preaching through the Minor Prophets now for, for going on some time, a little over a year now, I think. Um, I remind you that they're not called minor because they're less important than the major prophets, um, but only because they're smaller. And I think we have seen that several of these uh, books that are small in length have been very uh, momentous in content, very large in content over uh, the last several months. And I, I think we're going to find that today with this passage in Zechariah chapter 6. Um, one of the first, one of the first uh, differences you're going to notice is that it starts off in, in verse 9 saying the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Well, that's a difference, right? Because up until this point in, in the book of Zechariah, he hasn't received a word from the Lord. The Lord hasn't spoken to him. He's been receiving visions from the Lord. The Lord's been showing him things. Um, and we've seen eight of those visions, nine of those visions over the last uh, several weeks. And, uh, and, and some scholars think that this last passage here at the end of chapter 6 is kind of an appendix to all of those, uh, to all of those visions. and kind of goes along with it. And so what I want us to do this morning is kind of walk through the whole passage and look at what's happening, 
uh, look at what the Lord is saying, and then I want to go back, uh, after we've done that, go back and, and pick up some certain parts of uh, the message that the Lord is telling Zechariah and, and see what the meaning of it is, what, what the purpose of it is, what it is that the Lord is trying to get across through this message to Zechariah. So what is it that's happening here? What is it that the Lord is, is doing? Well, like I've said, first of all, we notice that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah early on there in, in, in the beginning of verse 9. And that's, and that's different than the visions. Uh, this is going to be a sign for, for everyone, right? The visions are, are something that only Zechariah saw. And, and maybe he told those to other people. We know that he wrote them down, and we have the, uh, the privilege of, of reading those and, and the benefit of being able to see those visions. Uh, but those, the, the Lord gave those visions only to Zechariah. Here, the Lord is giving a word to Zechariah, telling Zechariah, not just, uh, not just showing him something, but telling him to go do something. We're going to see this is a, a sign prophecy or, or an act prophecy. And, and, and sometimes these kind of things happen in, in the scriptures. You may remember when we studied the book of Hosea earlier on in this series of the Minor Prophets, remember the Lord came to Hosea and told Hosea to go and marry this lady named Gomer, right? And Gomer was a prostitute. And after they were married, Gomer continued selling herself back into prostitution. And God would tell Hosea to go and buy her, purchase her, redeem her from, from that lifestyle over and over and over. And, and this, this was a, a, a sign to the people there to look at Hosea, look at the prophet, what he's doing, and it's a sign to them of something that God's doing. And we have something similar going on here this morning with Zechariah. You may remember a passage in Ezekiel where, uh, where God told the prophet Ezekiel to take a branch and to break it in half. And then to take the two pieces and hold them together in, in his hand with his hand covering up the break. And that was uh, a, a sign prophecy, a, a prophecy in pictures where the prophet was telling the, the people that God was going to divide their kingdom. He was going to break their kingdom. And we see that happen with Judah and Israel splitting uh, from one another, and, but then God also tells them he's going to put the kingdom back together again, and we see that happen later on in the Old Testament as well. And so like those sign prophecies, like those um, uh, pro action prophecies where, they, where the Lord tells the prophet to go do something and then teaches the people through that action, that's what we have here this morning. The Lord's going to tell, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, and he's going to tell Zechariah to do something. So what does he tell him to do? Well, he says, take from the exiles... Heldai and Tobijah and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go to the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. And he says, take from them silver and gold. Okay? So we have these guys coming. He tells them to take from them silver and gold. We don't know much about these men. All we know is that, one, that they come from Babylon, and we know that one of them is the son of uh, Zephaniah. But we don't even know if that's the same Zephaniah, uh, the prophet that we studied, uh, that we preached through a few weeks ago, or not, but just there's a man named, named Zephaniah, okay? And so we don't know much about them um, other than their name. Uh, because they are named, they're probably known pretty well in the community. Probably would have been people where when they, when they first read the, the, the prophecy of Zechariah or the people that were there uh, when Zechariah was telling about this, then they would have recognized these people. Probably well-known people. Uh, the fact that they have silver and gold to give also is an indication that maybe they're wealthy, and so that could be another indication that they're, that they're well-known. But what's probably happening is they're probably Jews who live in Babylon who are coming to Jerusalem uh, on, on either to live there permanently or, or for a visit, and probably for a visit. We don't know for sure, but probably coming for a, for a visit. Perhaps they're representing a larger group of Jewish people in, in Babylon. Remember, the context of this prophecy is that the kingdom has been 
uh, defeated. The, 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 the kingdom of Israel was defeated before, and now the kingdom of Judah has been defeated. The people have been exiled to the land of Babylon, and now they're beginning to come back to Israel, come back to the, to the promised land. They're rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding the, um, the nation there. And so these are people who probably are still living in Babylon, but they've come back to visit um, Jerusalem, and maybe they're, maybe they're representing other people. Maybe they're coming as, a, as kind of ambassadors for a whole group. Um, just like we've sent out a, a small group of our church to, uh, to Ecuador this, this week. Or maybe they're coming just representing their, themselves. But either way, they're bringing with them an offering for the temple of God. They're bringing with them an offering to God, an offering for the temple. And, and that could be for many reasons. It could be that they feel guilty about uh, live, staying in Babylon. They feel guilty about not, not coming back to help in, in rebuilding the temple and, and, and in rebuilding the, the nation. Maybe they feel guilty that they're staying in Babylon and living a life of, of ease and, and wealth there instead of coming back to, uh, to Jerusalem. And, and maybe they're sending this offering as a way to kind of appease that guilt or to a, kind of atone for, for that guilt. We, we, we don't know. Maybe they just know of the slow progress that's being made on the temple right now. And so they're sending this gift. They have, they've come across some money, or perhaps they've even raised some money as, as kind of fundraisers in Babylon among the Jewish people there, and they're sending this gift to help um, speed up the, the rebuilding of the temple. We, we really don't know. On the other hand, they may also be Jews who have come back and, and have moved back to Jerusalem to live for good. Maybe they're coming back for good, um, and they brought their wealth with them, and they're seeking to to tithe or to, to give an offering of that wealth to the rebuilding of the, te- of the temple. We don't really know. Uh, what we do know is that they have gold and silver, and they're coming to offer it to, uh, to aid in the, in the rebuilding effort of the, of the temple. And so God tells Zechariah to go uh, to them. He says to go meet them. Um, he says to go that same day, and he tells them to, to meet them at the house of Josiah. Okay, the son of Zephaniah. Again, we don't know much about Josiah. That was a pretty, pretty common name. There was a king of Israel named Josiah. Uh, we know that Zephaniah was a prophet. Um, and so both of those are, are pretty common names. And so we don't know a lot about who he is. Um, but he's likely here because they're bringing the gifts to him. There's a good chance it's likely that he's the treasurer of the temple. And so they're bringing these gifts for the temple. They're bringing it to Josiah. They're taking it to him at his house. And, and the Lord tells Zechariah to... Uh, to kind of intercept them there, to go there, to meet them there at the house of, of, um, of Josiah. Because the Lord has told, has told uh, Zechariah that they're not, he's not going to use that gift for uh, the temple. They were prepared to offer it for the temple, but, but the Lord has something else in mind he wants them to do with it. So in verse 11, he tells uh, Zechariah, he says, take from them silver and gold and make a crown out of it. So he wants them to make a crown. He doesn't want them to use the silver and gold for the temple. He wants them to use the silver and gold to make a, to make a crown. Now, there's, there's some ambiguity here about, about this crown. There's some ambiguity in the way it's written um, in the original language. God may be telling them to make two crowns, one silver and one gold, or he may be telling them to make one crown out of silver and gold, or he may be probably telling them to make this, these crowns that are silver and gold and then kind of woven or twisted together to make one crown out of it. Either way, he's telling them to make a crown. He's going to tell them to put it in a certain place, a certain couple places, and we're going to come back to this when we talk about the meaning of, of what's happening here. Once the crown's made, he tells them at the end of verse 11 to set the crown on the head of Joshua, the son of 
Jehozadak. Okay, we do know who Joshua is. Joshua is uh, the priest, the high priest there at this time. And the Lord tells him to put, make this crown out of silver and gold and to place it on the head of the high priest Joshua. That's a really odd thing for the Lord to tell Zechariah to do. It's a really odd thing for him to tell Zechariah to do um, because the priest doesn't wear a crown, right? The priest has a certain type of, of, of head, headdress that, that he wears, but it's not a crown. Um, you remember in the Old Testament, there, there are three offices that, that God has set up in the Old Testament. He set up the offices of prophet, of priest, and of king. And those, op- the, those offices are, are, are separate. The, the prophet stands over here and, and kind of speaks to the people on behalf of the Lord. The Lord, just like Zechariah is happening right now, the Lord speaks to the prophet, and then the prophet tells the people what the Lord has said, right? The priest is kind of the opposite of that. The priest stands over here with the people, and the priest is the, the, the people's spokesperson to God. And so the people come and confess their sins to the priest, and the priest offers sacrifices on, on behalf of the people before God. So the prophet is the spokesman for God, the priest is the spokesman for the people, and then the king is another representative for God. The king is the one who is um, to rule over the people, to execute justice, um, to keep things running in order, to make judgments, um, all, all of those kind of things. And in the Old Testament, we see that those offices are kept uh, very distinct from one another. You may remember the first king of Israel was, was Saul, if you remember, and, and, and God took the kingdom away from Saul, and one of, the, one of the problems with Saul was that he acted as a priest. There was a, there was a time in, in Saul's life where God told him to wait uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for the priest to come to offer a sacrifice, and Saul was in, in battle, and Saul got tired of waiting, and so he went to offer that sacrifice himself. And there were some other things going on in Saul's life as well, but, but that was part of uh, what was behind God taking the kingdom away from, from Saul, that he overstepped his bounds, he overstepped his limits. And here we have God doing that very same thing. Here we have God telling Zechariah, make this crown out of silver and gold you're getting from these exiles from Babylon, and once you have it made, I want you to put it on the head of the priest, the high priest, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. So here we seem to be having these, these two offices, at least these two offices, mixed together for some reason. Why is the prophet told to do this? Why is he told to put this crown, the, the symbol of, of authority that's normally reserved for the king, why is he telling him to put that on the head of the priest? We'll come back to that in a few minutes as well when we talk about what's going on here and what this means. But So that's the next thing he does. Zechariah goes to the, the people, intercepts them, gets the, the gold and silver from them. He makes a crown for, uh, out of that, and then he sets it on the head of, of Joshua. And then he begins to say some things to, to Joshua. Okay, so we see that in, in verses 12 to, to 13, uh, the Lord tells Zechariah to say some things to Joshua while he's wearing the crown. Uh, but he, but he, he says it to Joshua, but he's almost, it's almost like he's saying it in a way that, that is to Joshua, but it can be overheard by the rest of the people around, right? Y'all, y'all remember the, in, in the New Testament, we have the books of 1 Timothy and, and, and Titus, and those are written to, uh, Paul's writing there to, to young uh, church planners, young pastors in, in these towns of Ephesus and, and Crete. And there's a place in 1 Timothy where, where you're, you're familiar with this passage where Paul tells Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, right? Don't, look, don't let anyone look down on you because, uh, because you're so young. But instead, set them an example in, in these different ways that, that he goes through, in your teaching, your lifestyle, et cetera. Well, Paul's writing that letter to Timothy, right? 
but it's going to be read out loud among the whole church. And so there's a, there's a sense where Paul's telling Timothy to not let anyone look down on him because of his youth, but there's another sense where that's going to be read out loud in front of the whole church. And so even though God's speaking that to Timothy, the whole church is going to kind of overhear that conversation, and, and the whole church is going to kind of take that message from Paul as well, and it's going to give some authority to, to Timothy because they're overhearing what Paul is saying to Timothy. Well, there's a similar thing happening here where Zechariah is going to say some things to, to Joshua, and, and he's speaking to Joshua, but there's a sense where it's being overheard by the people around, and of course it's being written down in this book to be, to be read by others later. We're not going to look right now at what he says. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes as well. Okay, so we have this crown that's made. It's placed on the head of Joshua, the high priest. Um, he says some things to Joshua. And then he takes the crown off of Joshua. And in verse 14, uh, the Lord tells Zechariah to take the crown that was on Joshua's head. And he wants to put it in the temple as a reminder, as a memorial. Okay? And, and he mentioned these, these people again. Look at verse 14. He says it's going to be a reminder to Helam and Tobijah and Jediah and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. If you look back at verse 10, those names are mentioned, Heldai and Tobijah and Jediah, um, and then later Josiah, the son of, of um, Zephaniah. Here, Josiah's name is changed to, um, to Hen. There are a couple names that are, that are, that are different in that list. And, and again, we don't really know why. Um, these are probably the same people, especially Hen and Josiah, because they're both called the son of, of Zephaniah. And so we don't know why they're given different names. It could be just that they have a couple different names they go by, maybe a, a nickname or something like that. It could be that these are the men that are coming from Babylon. And so maybe they have, they have Hebrew names that they use in, in Jerusalem, and maybe they have other names that they use uh, when they're in, in Babylon. Uh, we don't know. There's a chance that, that they could be different people in, in those two situations, but I don't think so. I think they're the same people. Uh, just like Simon uh, was sometimes called Simon and sometimes, sometimes called Peter. Um, the, the, the same kind of thing I think is going on here. It's the same people. Uh, but either way, the Lord tells Zechariah to put this crown in the temple, and it's to be a reminder to specifically these four people, but I think to the rest of the nation as well. We don't know where the, where the crowns were put, really. They could have been put in the, in the temple treasury. Uh, we don't know, and, and, and uh, they would know that they were there, and that would be a reminder to them. Um, you remember the, the Ark of the Covenant is put into the Holy of Holies, the, the most inner part of the, of the temple. Um, and, and so this could be something similar where the crowns are, are put there. Um, but there's, they may have also been hung in the windows of the temple. That was kind of a Jewish uh, custom at that, at that time to hang things in the windows. And so there's a chance that these, these crowns could have been hung in the windows of the temple so that whenever people walked by and saw those crowns hanging there, it would have been a reminder to them of what the Lord had, had promised and what the Lord would do. Wherever the crowns were, they were there for the purpose of being a memorial, being a reminder, as a, a pledge that the Lord will do what he says he will do. And we have memorials like that that are pretty common throughout the Old Testament. You're probably aware of, of some. The Ark of the Covenant that I've already mentioned is, is one um, that's, that's promised. Uh, the Lord promised that, that his presence will be there wherever the, that Ark is. That will be a, a memorial, a sign um, of his presence. Uh, we remember when Moses was leading the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land. Remember they were led by a pillar of, of fire and a pillar of smoke. Um, that was a reminder that God was there, a sign that God was there among them, um, present with them. We remember the rainbow 
God promised Noah that when, when there's a storm and we see a rainbow form, that's a, that's a reminder to God and to us that God has promised not to destroy the world again with, with water. Um, and then we can think of other various monuments and pillars and things that, that people built in the, in, throughout the Old Testament as, as reminders and, and as um, monuments to, uh, to what the Lord has done or what the Lord has said to them in a, in a specific special place. And so here the Lord says for Zechariah to do the same thing put these crowns in the temple, hang them there in the temple, or put them in the treasure of the temple. Wherever they are, they're in the temple, and they're there as a memorial, as a reminder. Okay? And then, uh, in verse 15, uh, Zechariah begins to tell the people, um, predict some things for the people. The Lord gives Zechariah these predictions. First of all, he says, those who are far off shall come to help build the temple. Okay? And then this was the biggest thing that's happening in the, in the nation right now. They're rebuilding the temple. Um, and, 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 and here the Lord promises Zechariah, and Zechariah passes it on to the people, that there will be uh, people from far off who will come and help to rebuild the temple. Okay? This could be a reference to other Jewish people from Babylon coming, uh, more, more exiles returning to Jerusalem to help in the, in the work of building the temple. These other guys we mentioned before had, had brought money silver and gold to help with the, with the building of the temple. Um, here they're promising to, uh, it could be they're promising for more uh, Jews to come back from Babylon to help in the actual labor work of the, of the, um, of the, uh, of the building of the temple. Um, it could be a reference to Gentiles who would help to rebuild the temple. I think that's more likely, in my opinion, that, that, that he's mentioning people from far off. I think that's more a, more likely, I think it's true that more Jews are going to come back and that kind of thing, but I think he's telling them here that, that even the Gentiles are going to help to rebuild uh, the temple. If we know much about our Jewish history and if we know much about the Jewish Old Testament, we know that that, in, in fact, happened. The king of Persia did uh, help in rebuilding the temple. We read about that in Ezra chapter 6. Um, in the next chapter, Ezra chapter 7, we find out that the, the Persians also helped to furnish the temple. Later on, Herod and, and others helped to beautify the temple and to do, to do work on the temple. Um, and, and so we know that Gentiles did help in the rebuilding and the furnishing and the um, revitalization of the temple. And, and, and maybe that's what Zechariah had in mind. Maybe that's what the Lord's telling Zechariah. Or maybe it's both, and, and probably is both. That the Jews are going to come back from other parts of the world, um, but also the Gentiles are going to help in that work as well. And then he makes another prediction to them, another promise to them, um, in verse 15, he says that when these things happen, when the Gentiles do come or when, the, when those who are far off do come back um, to help rebuild the temple of the Lord, then he says, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Zechariah saying, you will know that I'm a true prophet. You'll know that, that the Lord really sent me to you when these things happen, when these things come to pass, when these things come about. They would have confidence that the, that the rest of what he said is true as well. Right? If Zechariah is making these different, different prophecies or the Lord is prophesying through Zechariah and one of the things he says comes true, then that gives them confidence that the rest of what he says will come true as well. And so Zechariah says, once, the, once these foreigners come, once these people that are far off come to help in the rebuilding of the temple, then you will know, you will have confidence, you will know that the other things that I said are true as well, that the Lord really has sent me to be a prophet among you. And then the final thing that, that we read in verse 15 is... Zechariah tells the people, this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
This will come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so Zechariah is telling them, this is not an excuse for you to stop working on the temple. It's not an excuse for you to stop building the temple. Uh, just because we know the Lord's going to help in this work and we know the Lord's going to send others to help in this work, that doesn't mean that you stop working. It means that you continue working even, even all the more. And when that help comes, it will be a, a, a boon to you, a help to you. Okay, so these are the things that are happening here. Uh, the, the, the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah, tells him to go intercept these, these people that are coming back to Babel, from Babylon, tells him to take their gold and silver, to make a, make a crown out of it, to place their crown on, Joshua, on uh, Joshua's head, the high priest. Um, he tells them uh, then to take the crown off of Joshua's head after saying some things to him, to put the crown in the, in the, in the temple as a reminder, as a memorial uh, to the truthfulness of what God has said. Um, and then he uh, gives them these, these predictions at the end. Okay, so what, is, what does all this mean? What, what is happening? Why is it that the Lord is saying these things to, to Zechariah? Let's look back through uh, some of this passage. We're not going to read every, every little part again, but I do want us to look at some things and see exactly what's happening here. And I want us to focus especially, first of all, in verses 12 and 13 on what Zechariah is saying to Joshua. Okay, the, 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 sign that, the sign that he gives Joshua is placed, or the sign that he gives the people is placed in this crown on the head of Joshua, the high priest. And so now we're going to read the explanation of what, why is he doing this? What, is, what does this mean? So look at verse 12. And say to him, say to Joshua, who's wearing the, the crown, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So he puts this crown on Joshua, and he stands back and looks at Joshua, and he says, behold, the man who is called the branch. Okay? Well, I don't think he's calling Joshua here the branch. I don't think he's saying that Joshua is the, the branch, and there's, there's several reasons for, for saying that. Um, I think if you look back to Zechariah chapter 3, just a couple, couple chapters back, it's just the one page turn in my Bible. Look at Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. He says this, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. And so there you have Joshua who's there, other people who are there. And in that passage, uh, Zechariah says, on behalf of the Lord, I will bring my servant the branch. I will bring my servant the branch. Well, if Joshua is the branch, then he's already there. But the Lord says, no, I will bring my servant the branch. And so I think the branch is someone different than, jo than Joshua. But I think what Zechariah is doing is he puts his crown on Joshua's head, and he stands back and looks at him and says, behold, the man who's called the branch. And he's saying, the man who's called the branch, who's going to come, that the people of Israel would have known of, and that we read of just a little bit ago, that we'll go back and look at in, in a minute, He's saying this, this branch, the, the one whose name is, is the branch, is, is someone that the Lord will bring in the future. And he's saying that, that there's a, a man named the branch who will, like Joshua here, be a priest and a king. There's going to be a man that comes whose name is the branch. He's going to be a priest, but he's going to have a crown. He's going to be a priest and he's going to be a king. He's saying that God's going to unite these two offices. He's going to join these two offices of, of the office of, of, of the priesthood and the office of, of the king. He's going to unite those into, in, in one person, and that person's name is going to be the branch. We talked about what the priest and the king 
do. The priest stands between men and God as the spokesman for men to God. The, the king rules and exercises authority and judgment and dominion in God's place. And Zechariah saying, there's a man that's going to come who's going to do both of those things. He'll be a priest with a, with a crown. He'll be a priest on the, on the throne. Um, Brian yesterday read this morning from, from Isaiah chapter 11. And there's other places in the Bible that talk about the branch, but Isaiah chapter 11 is a key place in, 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 my, in my thinking where, where God talks about the branch. And you've got to know a little bit about, about uh, Jewish history here, kind of some high spots of Jewish history to understand what's happening. Remember, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, David is there. Remember, David's the second king. He becomes king after Saul. David's the second king of Israel. And uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God, or, or, uh, David goes to the prophet Nathan and says, Nathan, listen, this is not right. I'm the king, and I'm living in this big palace. It's made of cedars. It's nice. It's, it's great. It's this grandiose place, this big, huge palace like you would think of that kings would live in. And yet we're worshiping the Lord in a tent. They were still, they were still using the tabernacle. The temple had not yet been built. They were still worshiping in the tabernacle, the tent. So David says, it's not right that me, a man, a king, lives in this big, awesome palace and the presence of the Lord is in this tent. And so he told Nathan the prophet, he says, I want to build a temple for the Lord. And so Nathan says, that's good, you should do that, yes. You're the king, raise the funds, get the, get the labor together, build a temple for the Lord. Well, that night, the Lord comes to Nathan in a dream, and so the next morning, Nathan goes back to David and says, you know what, the Lord says, no, you're not going to build a temple because you've said, shed too much blood. You've been a warrior king. He says, but your son, who's going to reign in your place, He'll build a temple because he's going to be a, a peaceful king. And he's talking about Solomon becomes the next king. And, and if we know, if you know the Bible, Solomon does build the next temple. Okay? But what happens when Nathan comes to David, Nathan doesn't just say you're not going to build a house for the Lord. But there's a little play on words there where he says, not, not only are you not going to build a house for the Lord, but the Lord's going to build a house for you. Okay? But when he says the Lord's going to build a house for you, he's not talking about a palace. He already had a palace. It's kind of a play on words where he's talking about the Lord's going to build a house for you. The Lord's going to build a family for you, right? And we don't talk like that often. We don't talk about houses as, as families, but, but you can talk like that. If, if you think about the, um, the, the kings and queens of England, they're from the house of Windsor, right? The, they're from the family line of, of, of Windsor. And so the Lord tells David, I'm not gonna, I'm not, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. You're going to have this big family. I'm going to give you descendants, sons, and grandsons, and great-grandsons, and great-great-great-grandsons, and all the way down. And then he also makes David this other promise. He says, another promise I'm going to give you is, not only are you going to have this big family, but one of your descendants will forever reign on the throne over Israel. He makes David a promise that one of his sons would reign forever on the throne of Israel, okay? Well, what do we see happening in the time of Zechariah or right before the time of Zechariah, right? Remember the kingdom splits in half and you have the northern kingdom. This happened right after Solomon's death. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so you, now you had these two kingdoms and the, the line of David were still kings in Judah. And so that, that, that promise was still being fulfilled through Judah. But then eventually the northern kingdom was, was conquered. Eventually the southern kingdom was conquered and you have no kings on the thrones anymore. God promised David, you'll always have a king on the throne uh, in, 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 in Jerusalem reigning over Israel. And yet there comes a time in Israel's history where there is no king on the throne. There is no throne. Right? Look, at, look back at um, Isaiah 11. This is where Brian read earlier. We're not going to read the whole passage he read, but we're, we're going to read the first part of it. Look back at Isaiah 
11. This is Isaiah prophesying. Isaiah says, there shall, come a, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Okay, well, who is Jesse? Jesse's the father of David, right? So he's saying there's going to come this shoot from the, from the line of, of David, from the line of David's father, Jesse. There will become a shoot from the, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The, the word uh, branch and the word shoot are, are related, maybe even the exact same word, um, in, in this passage, in Zechariah, the word that's, that's translated the man is called the branch. It could be called, it could be translated the man is called the shoot. It's the same word there. Uh, but here he says, from the, from the stump of Jesse, right? We think of family trees. Think of a family tree that's been cut off. There are no longer kings on the throne of, of, of Israel. The, 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 the line of David has been cut off. All you have is a stump that's left there, right? But we've all seen stumps in our lives, and we've all seen what happens with stumps in our lives often where there's a stump. And there's no life. It's just a tree that's been completely cut off. Often we'll see out of the top of that stump a little green shoot will grow up, right? And maybe, maybe some grass will start growing or, or whatever. And this is, what, this is what Isaiah's promising or prophesying in Isaiah chapter 11. This is what Zechariah's talking about here in Zechariah chapter 6. God made a promise that there's going to be a king on the throne forever, and there will be a king on the throne forever after the line of David. And Zechariah says this king is going to come. His name is going to be the branch. He's a branch that's going to shoot up from the, from, the, uh, from the stump of Jesse, this dead stump of cut-off kings. There's going to be another king that's going to come from that line. His name's going to be called the branch. And he's not only going to be a king, he's also going to be a priest. He's not only going to be a king, he's also going to be a priest. He is going to be a king. He's going to have a crown on his head, but he's also going to be a priest. We know the New Testament, and you're probably already ahead of me there. We know the New Testament. We know that this one is Jesus, that Jesus is the son of David who has come to reclaim his throne as the king of not only his own people, but the king of, of the world. And we also know that, that Jesus is not only a king, but he's also a priest, right? Hebrews tells us that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In the Old Testament, the priest came from the line of David, and the, 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 I'm sorry, the kings came from the line of David, and the priest came from the line of Aaron. And yet Jesus is a king from the line of David who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He tells us that, that this branch is going to branch out. Another way of saying that, it's kind of a play on words, is this shoot is going to shoot up, or this branch is going to branch out. It's going to begin here. Jesus is going to begin here. And yet the kingdom of God is going to branch out and it's going to cover the face of the entire world. He says he's going to build the temple. This branch is going to come. He's going to be the one to build the temple. He says it twice. At the end of verse 12 and the beginning of verse 13, he says, for he shall branch out from this place in verse 12 and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And the verse 13 says, it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. It's he who shall build the temple of the Lord. The branch, this one called the branch, Jesus will build the temple of the Lord. He's not talking about a physical temple here, right? And he's not talking about a physical throne here either because we know if we open up the, 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 the beginning pages of the New Testament, there's not a king on the throne in Israel, right? And then later on in the, in the, uh, in, in the later history of the New Testament, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed again. And so there's no longer a temple there. And so he's not saying he's going to build a physical temple, not saying he's going to build a physical throne or sit on a physical throne, but he's going to build a temple to the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that the temple of the Lord is a spiritual house. He calls the church that. 
He refers to believers, like me and you, the church, as the temple of the Lord and as a spiritual house. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, uh, Paul says that those who believe in Jesus, he calls them a holy temple. This man called the branch is going to come. He's going to be a king. He's going to reign over his, over his kingdom. He's going to be a priest as well, and he's going to build his temple. He's going to build his, his people. says he's going to bear royal honor. He's going to sit and rule from his throne. He says there will be a priest on the throne. Jesus will hold the office of priest and king together as one. Perhaps the, the, the crown of gold and silver, maybe the silver represents the priesthood and the gold represents the kingdom. We, we don't know, but we know that he's going to be both and he's going to wear that crown. Matthew Henry says, in all the acts of his government as a king, he prosecutes the intentions of his grace as a priest. In all of his acts of his government as a king, he prosecutes the intentions of his grace as a priest. He tells us, Zechariah here tells us that the council of peace shall be between the two of them. The two of whom? Who's he talking about? The two of whom? I think he's saying the, I think he's saying the council of peace will be between the office of the priest and the office of the king. There'll no longer be any conflict between the two. And you may ask, well, why would there be a conflict between the, the two before? Why is it good that they're put together? Why is it good that this one man, Jesus, is both a king and a priest? Why is it good that he is, in the, he is on the throne and both a priest? It, it's good because it's the, the king that exercises authority, the king that exercises judgment, is also the priest who exercises grace and mercy and salvation. The king that judges and exercises punishment and vengeance is the priest who suffered that just punishment and that just vengeance for us, for our sins. Again, Matthew Henry says that Christ has purchased people by his priesthood and he maintains and defends them by his kingdom. Those who are far off shall come to build the temple. One commentator says, they sh there shall be a happy coalition between Jews and Gentiles in the gospel church, and they shall both meet in Christ, the priest upon his throne, as the center of their unity. And you will know that the Lord has sent me to you. Praise God that he has kept his word, that he's kept this promise, and he's keeping this promise right now. Our salvation, the existence even of our church, is evidence that he has done it and that he's doing it. This is why we've sent a team of people to Ecuador, and they're there right now. This is why we have people that will be going to Mexico later this year in the fall. This is why we can confidently share the gospel with people that we care about, those people around us. This is why we can pray for loved ones and for family members that the Lord would change them and and save them. We can have confidence that God will use our efforts, and we can have confidence that, that God will answer those prayers because he's proven himself trustworthy. He's proven himself faithful in the work of Zechariah. Zechariah says, if he does this, then you can trust that he's going to do the rest of what I've said. Church, he's, he's done that, and we can trust that he's going to do the rest of what he says he will do. He told them to set the crown in the temple as a reminder, as a memorial. It was a reminder to them that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. 
It's a symbol and a reminder that God can be trusted. And the Lord's Supper is the same for us this morning. God's given us a symbol. God's given us a reminder that he can be trusted. God's given us a symbol. God's given us a reminder that that he will do what he says he will do. When we take the Lord's Supper, we look backward to God's promises and we look forward to God's promises. We look backward to the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins in our place. As we eat the bread and drink the juice, we're reminded and we remind each other that the source of our new life is Jesus giving up his life. But we also look forward as we take the Lord's Supper. We also look forward to the day that we're going to eat the meal again with our Savior in heaven. As we eat the bread and drink the juice, we remind ourselves and remind each other that our hope is in a perfect king who's also a perfect priest who's coming to exercise and execute justice, but also to distribute mercy and peace and grace to those who are his. As the servers for the Lord's Supper begin to come forward, let's pray. Father God, we are thankful this morning that your word is true. God, we're thankful this morning that our, our Lord Jesus is a, is a priest and a king. And God, we're thankful that you have made it that way. And God, I pray that you would help us to, to trust in that more. Father, help us to trust his kingship as, as the one who's ruling over us and, and, and providing for us and protecting us and all the things that a king does. Father, help us to trust in his priesthood, that he's opened up a way for us to come to you, that he has perfectly represented us to you, and that he's covered our sins by the sacrifice of his own blood, the sacrifice of his own life. Father, we thank you for that. It's in his name we pray. Amen.